Welcome back to Anime Savants. I'm Jordan. I'm James. And the hot take this week is Sakura is not in love with Sasuke. She is fucking trauma bonded. So let's go look at the definition of trauma bonding. Trauma bonding occurs when a narcissist repeats a cycle of abuse with another person which fuels a need for validation and love from the person being abused. Huh. Who does that sound like, everyone? That sounds like fucking Sakura. I, um, the reason why I wanted to make this a hot take is because y'all glorify her a lot, and I think that the character is not very written, not, is not written very well compared to a lot of the other women in the show. You know, I'll give Tsunade her props. Uh, he, it looks, seems like he kind of actually tried with her a little bit and then threw her to the wayside. But, Sakura's been there the entire time. Um, the power-ups kind of went out the fucking window after the Sasori fight. But the whole love thing, I have just never liked Sakura and Sasuke being together. And I especially didn't like it in Boruto. Because it just didn't make sense to me. And then once I learned about trauma bonding, I learned, oh, okay. So Sasuke's a narcissist, which I mean, we all know that. But for her to be trying so hard and to simply be paid dust consistently, it's just pitiful to watch. And I don't know, like maybe some guys like to see that shit basically to like, oh no, or maybe it like played on a lot of people's fantasies where it's just like, yeah, I can act however the fuck I want and I'm gonna have a girl that's gonna want me no matter what. No, that's, that's, sadly, actually that does happen in real life sometimes, but that's not healthy. That's not healthy. That's not a healthy relationship. And Naruto's not the darkest thing in the world, but I feel like that's one of those things where it's just like, bro, do you even know what you're like promoting right now? You know how many like impressionable young minds are gonna like lean onto this shit and be like, oh, okay, well, my first exposure to sex was porn and my first exposure to relationships is this. So girls are girls are gonna girls are gonna do this. They're just gonna they're just gonna put up with my bullshit. No, they're not gonna put up with your bullshit. Soccer is crazy. Sasuke is an asshole, and that's about, that's, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like this plays into a lot of what Kishimoto has said over the years about both Sakura as a character, his ability to write women in general, fan reaction to her and other uh, women on the show or in the, in the manga, and, you know, like, you know, his statement was always, you know, A, I tried to write her as a relatable, air quotes, normal girl. And so oh God. this was so this was his idea of what, you know, a, a real person might do, say, react in certain situations. That she's not perfect, that uh, you know, all the things that, that readers might latch on to, um, the narcissism, the the trauma bonding, the you know all those things. In in one in one sense, he claims that like, well, that was purposeful in order to you know give her air quotes dimensionality. But then on the uh, other hand, uh, you've uh, you know I've also read in multiple places that he's apologized for his lack of ability to really grow female characters on their own throughout the series. And I think Sakura has always suffered from that, you know, that she never really, you know, like wh why we never got a motivation 
real really i mean we've gotten backstory and we obviously saw her grow throughout the series but there's never really any deep exploration of why she clung on to uh sasuke Sasuke in particular but you know in general like toxic situations it never really became like the focal point of any later growth or development when we see her later in life um through boruto it's kind of the same thing i mean maybe without the the edge of like um the threat of death but still i mean like dude's gone and she's still basically running the same game and it doesn't make any sense so okay and yeah and that's another thing that just doesn't make sense to me it's just like so now he's doing the exact same shit to you in adulthood and now you have a child it's like you don't want to write her in a positive light or in some sense because even so if he came back and he apologized for that that's one thing but at the same time it's like but making a character suffer just to give them some some kind of like dimensionality is like it's just i don't know it just it it doesn't work for me it, it's one of my least favorite relationships in naruto and like when you especially when you compare it to like hinata in naruto that like cooked like it built up over time you could see hinata's like you know admiration for him and then they gave it a whole fucking movie to like pan it out and for them to get together and it made sense and these motherfuckers just popped up with the baby and he's still gone he's clearly and then that's the thing though he doesn't even show the child that much affection to the point where the child doesn't even think that it belongs to sasuke i mean he's a he's a bad person so yeah. <laughs> this what's very interesting too is that there are plenty of characters in the series who are you know they're not necessarily antagonists but by any measure they're just bad people and yes you know on the one hand i guess you could say yeah it's real life that folks are like this and what are you gonna do but i always try to believe that an author or an artist is trying to say something when they make a certain decision even Mm -hmm. say something without saying something right like if you decide not to uh, highlight a character or not to provide them any growth or not to you know focus and teach the audience you know something through you know their relationships and their arc if you're really not trying then that also says a lot about you know the the values that are there and i think that's always been the problem is that in the initial draft of whatever naruto was going to be um you know she was going to have a pretty significant role um because she was one of the initial three right and there was i could imagine a world where her character was given as much attention and a much direction that wasn't so like myopically focused on a different a different character's story arc um that we could have gotten well, it something seemed interesting like he, but it just didn't it happen it seemed like he was trying at the beginning of Shippuden where like she goes she trains with Tsunade um she has the Sasori fight and like she becomes a little bit more prominent in the storyline um especially when it comes to like Naruto and Sasuke but i felt like all of that growth potential was thrown out the moment that she didn't like act on killing Sasuke at the summit. I kind of just felt like all that character development was for no, for no. And then after she failed to kill him, she kind of just like disappeared from the storyline completely. And I was just like, so wait, so you started to build her up and then you gave her a defining moment that would have been amazing. Even if she didn't kill him, if, even if she had just acted on hurting him, 
it would have been it would have done wonders for a character and she still didn't do it and i was like well what's the end goal here because it just seems like she's trauma bonded and i'm tired of seeing this suffering like this is like unnecessary suffering for the character and also i'm tired of it and i don't want to say that it's lazy i'm just like bruh bring in another bring in another woman bring in another girl and like stop this killer even killer i would have been fine she died right well i mean it doesn't it also just doesn't make sense um her character is a is a tsundere and throughout the course of the series she's shown very little um you know hesitation to use violence recklessly to lash out when she's feeling strongly about a particular situation or about a particular character i mean like that it is within her character to to attacks Sasuke at the summit. Yes! It, it's actually perfectly within that character, and the fact that it doesn't happen is actually... It actually violates a lot of the, you know, rules that have been set up for how we're supposed to understand her. So that's one end. Then the other end, which is even more egregious, is that what was her motivation for the first, you know... for Actually, for the entire series. Her motivation was, I don't feel like I'm useful. How do I become yeah. useful? And which by itself is something that I, I cringe at whenever it's put on female characters in a male-dominated, action-centric type of a story. Because mm-hmm. unless the author goes out of the way to describe what usefulness actually is, which itself is kind of a political statement, um, it shouldn't be since, you know, Yikes. it's all about... This is about combat. The usefulness should be, you know, can you fuck somebody up or not? Right, like that's which he brought in the healing aspect, but even then, I was just like, uh, right, hey, a woman. Healer. But that's the thing that people don't want right. to see. So, yeah, by setting up that dynamic initially, where her whole character struggle is built around um, unrequited love for another character and a feeling of inadequacy. If you don't pay off either one of those. Then and it's deliberate, and you've got a long time to do it. Um, I can't, I can't really see how you can call her anything but a failed character, and that means anything around her is a failure. And so, being her trauma bonding is even, you know, put in more relief and makes it even worse. Yeah, <laughs> as a result of that, because that's just, literally her character love. now is that she's just a woman who is otherwise capable of doing anything else, but is just trauma-bonded to an asshole. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's not love. That's all I got on that shit. Trash. Soccer is trash. Quick, it's not her fault. Quick and simple. Kishimoto quick is a is a neat, and that's why he can't, <laughs> he can't write women. Like, that's it. I mean, he's still... Okay, nah. Anyways, let's move on to news. <laughs> I don't have time for him. Um... So, I'm just going to go ahead and lead with the most scandalous one. Ooh, scandalous. Wow. Where did that come from? The most scandalous item that um I know nothing about, but it is it it's been in the news cycle recently and I'm like, "Well, what the hell is going on here?" But there's an an not an anime, well it was was going to be an anime, but no, it never got an anime, did it? No, it didn't. Um, Act Age. It's a manga. Apparently, it was very popular. It was gonna get a stage play. Um, uh, Matsuki, the uh, mangaka, he fucked up. 
big time to the point where homie is arrested and most likely going to jail jail and i don't know much about the show but all i know is that homeboy basically was riding around on the bike molesting middle school girls and got caught and then when asked by the police what he was doing he was like everything you said there's generally nothing incorrect so it's kind of like bruh so what's happening now is the manga has is ending abruptly i think when you guys hear this episode it's gonna be the last chapter you're ever gonna get of this motherfucker and the stage play got canceled immediately and it's just weird. It's just weird. And it's also kind of sad to see, like, something that was, like, gaining traction and popularity just, like, come falling down. Because then you think about all the people who were involved with it, like, the editors, um, the publishers, the actors who had already made contracts and booked and missed out on other opportunities, the seiyus who were probably in discussions for, like, being part of the, the anime cast. Like, all that shit's falling apart. People are losing their jobs. because. Someone wanted to grope middle school girls. Yikes. So, yeah. And then along the same, not along the same lines, but the other bigger piece of news that I've noticed this week is AT&T is really trying to hustle Crunchyroll out here to other people. They uh, did an asking price of $1.5 billion, which, holy shit, okay, um, to Sony. And Sony declined that shit, and then they dropped it down to $1 billion, and now they're shopping it around to other places. This kind of came as a surprise to me, because I've seen Crunchyroll, like, doing the damn thing. They got 3 million subscribers. They have the Crunchyroll Expo. They're always at these anime cons with all the fucking gear. They're doing uh, limited merchandise with Megan Thee Stallion. They're stepping up their social media game and engagement. Like, it's... It's really fucking, they're like on their shit. And it's just like, but AT&T owns them and they're not on their shit. They're apparently in a shit ton of debt. And so it's kind of just like, damn, is this going to really fuck up like the come up for Crunchyroll? Because I would hope it wouldn't, but. but yeah, my assumption is it probably would not. Um, I, I forget what Crunchyroll um, sold for in its sort of first round. Um, mm-hmm. But the valuation from uh, AT&T, which may have been a little high for Sony, it's not really that much higher than what it'll probably sell for in the end. Um, I Mm. noted that in in the stories, at least that I saw around it, that uh, outside analysts said that Crunchyroll could probably value its subscribers at around $300 to $400 um, per subscriber, and given that they've been able to increase that count um, the paid side anyway, year over, um, mm-hmm. the 3 million, uh, means that they've got a pretty solid operating revenue and it's not something that's shrinking. Uh, and if anything, over the last year, they've added to their value by producing more and more original content that they own, at least partial rights or distribution rights to. So that mm-hmm. gives it a library that goes outside of its licensing. Um, I know that's like the boring um money talk but from a service point of view it's extremely valuable so i i'm less concerned about the future um of the platform mostly this is just it seems like this is driven by at&t being under tremendous pressure to bring down its own debt and it's Mm -hmm. not as if the partnerships that country roll has right now um with other media uh companies like hbo or anything else, or in any danger of being, um, you know, uh, altered or, or dropped just because they get a new owner. 
Um, unless no, unless okay. it's someone like um, NBC Universal, uh, who would probably want to fold a lot of their content into their upcoming web platform. Um, but I doubt that that's going to happen because NBC, I think, is also struggling with some some debt and they're launching Peacock and all this other stuff. So I think it's actually more mm. of like a seller's market uh, and Crunchyroll will be, will be fine. Okay. Um, what else do I have? Oh, so I got some words for Netflix because this news is annoying and it's not official news, but basically the rumor mill has started to spin about the Avatar live action adaptation that we are supposed to be excited about because they brought the actual creators back to have full creative discretion or like you know oversight and they left the show this past week and for a little while it was kind of just like up oh, why'd they leave the show and people were joking about it but then slowly and surely one after another people were basically like oh well i've heard reports 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 and no one's spoken on it explicitly like the creators themselves didn't say we left because of this they were just like we're no longer a part of that so whatever they release it does not represent us and it's kind of just like well damn but netflix basically wanted a majority white cast um i've also heard they wanted to add another character to the like core avatar group and then they wanted to age everyone up because they wanted to add on more mature themes including sex oh but why? So, <laughs> why? I yeah, I just want to say this is so unnecessary. All you have to do is follow the plot that you were already given and just do it in live action. Why are you fiddling with this shit? Also, Netflix is fucking notorious for whitewashing shit on the regular, and if you're not whitewashing it, you're giving us a trailer with a dark-skinned black character, and then you're premiering it with a light-skinned or fair-skinned person. You do it all the time. You did it with the little black boy show. We get it, okay? We get it. It's just another form of the bullshit that's going on. But the thing that gets me is that we've been through this before. The first M. Night Shyamalan's movie needs to disappear. Um, He needs to go to jail, to be honest, for that first Avatar movie. He needs to go to jail. Um, But that... If that's not a lesson in literally angering an entire fan base to the point where they actively shit on a movie every day, like you can find the original movie, you can find hate for that original movie every fucking day. That's how bad it is. Why would you start to go down the same path? I have like, a, do you I think, have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> like, do they think that? Oh well. We're going to do the same thing, but we're going to do it better. And our way is going to be better because our way of whitewashing is better. No. <laughs> I know. The, the entire purpose of the show is because it is set in that particular culture. There's a specific, specific culture they are pulling these characters from. And they're honoring that shit. And they want to hire people who represent those cultures. And by you wanting to push popular white actors onto people it's just it's so it's just bullshit and uh, you can guaranteed i'm pretty sure people it's still going to be popular because people are going to hate watch it and they're going to shit on it and they're going to mean the shit out of it and uh, netflix is going to get their life because they're still going to make money from it yeah 
I mean, and it just ugh. fucking sucks for the creators because I want those two creators to make something else. Like the Dragon Prince, the Dragon Prince is great. I like it. It's it gets better every single season, and they've already approved it for like all seven books or eight books or whatever. That's great. They left them alone, but you also have like you know your white lead, and there's a colorful cast of like people from different cultures. Um, gay culture is like seamless, seamlessly integrated throughout the whole thing, and you get your action and you get your fantasy. It's great. Why can't you just let them do the same thing with this? What's the problem? What's not clicking? I mean, I have a I have a very complicated relationship personally with Avatar. I I love it um, as mm-hmm. a series. Um, just, just, Uh-oh. is uh, it Cora? We don't, uh, we don't have to get into specifically cause I want to focus a little bit more on this live action, um, effort by Netflix. But I will say that as a series, it does so many good things, um, creatively, artistically, whether or not you agree with some of those things, I'm uh, open to interpretation. I'm not a big fan of Legend of Korra, but that's fine. I wouldn't necessarily say it's like, you know, uh, objectively a terrible show, but mm-hmm. I, it didn't work for me in a variety of ways, and maybe we'll explore that at another time. But but the key, I think, for Netflix is that you have to ask at a very high level why you're bringing this project to life in the first place. Hypothetically because it's a valuable IP and an IP is valuable when it's got a lot of fans who are willing to pay money, put their eyeballs on something, put their time into something um, like, like that. That's what, where its value comes from. So mm-hmm. there are many ways that as a media production company, as a live streaming service, you can take advantage of that. I have no idea what Netflix's metrics were saying. I don't know if, if they had, um, some idea going in as to what that show had to be in order for them to make a, a the profit they were interested in um, with it. I know, and uh, we brought up a little bit, that there have been other adaptations that have been done um, under the Netflix umbrella of original, previously original source material that was not um, well-received. I mean, we could talk about the Death Note movie. We can talk oh about um, uh, various uh, comic adaptations. Um, that didn't quite work out for a variety of reasons. And we can also talk about the ones that have been successful. So like Umbrella Academy was uh, big in season one oh, yeah. and now big again in season two. Sabrina, even though they wound up canceling it, which I am assuming is just general interest, was actually a pretty um, good show. And then uh, they had a, the, is it Sunnydale or something like that? Or I'm not a big Netflix watcher, to be honest. Whatever. But the point the point is that from just just from a production point of view, you bring in the Avatar IP and you bring in the original creators, presumably because you want to recapture whatever the main audience is air quotes hungry for, and that's more Avatar stuff that feels like and looks like and sounds like the Avatar stuff they like. Now I understand that it's possible that you could look at all that and say, well, maybe we want to do something different. Maybe we want to take an approach like we took with the Twisted Tales of Sabrina and, and make it darker, make it more adult, make it distinct from what people remember Avatar being in order to put our own stamp on it because maybe Netflix itself is just trying to brand itself in a specific way with this live action content. 
I am okay mm-hmm. with that as a starting point. Right? Like, that's but... fine if you want to try that. The question becomes, if you can't get the original creators to go on board with that vision, maybe at that point you start to question whether that vision makes sense for this particular intellectual property. Because I would argue that a show like Avatar, which is not necessarily marketed for children and doesn't necessarily have a fan base of very young people, I would say most people who are into Avatar now are in their 20s and 30s, on paper, the original one, right? On paper, they might look like, oh, you know, they would want something like what the reported vision for the new series is going to be on paper. But in reality, like those people are opera? very married to the characters and the moments and the ideas and the presentation from the original show, and they already got burned on a live action adaptation by uh, um, uh, that was much more well funded and better promoted, and most likely uh, had higher hopes attached to it than this one. So you're not really in a position as a company to come in and say, well, we're, we want to try something new because there's a lot of goodwill that has to be earned back from that fan base to get them on board to make sure that you, Crunchy, or not Crunchyroll, Netflix, gets that max value out of what you're paying to get everything together for this IP. So I say all that to mean that it sounds like this was a half-baked idea from the beginning, And it's very, very unfortunate that different sets of executives have taken a look at the Avatar franchise now twice in live action and have basically come to the exact same conclusion uh, that's wrong, that pisses everybody off, which is astounding to me because the level to which the Avatar movie got dragged all over the place and was just a commercial flop should have been a warning sign that if they want to do something like that, again, they're going to have to earn their way into it, not just buy off the creators. So, And it doesn't make any sense that there's all this social media hate and clarification for what people want and what people don't want, and they still are going the other way. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's a kind of arrogance, actually. Y- and, y- and that's the infuriating that is a great, part Yeah. It. Because well, because they're the ones with the money, they're the ones that can do it. And again, I'm not even saying that it can't be done at all. I can totally see a reimagined um, version of the Avatar world in live action with older actors, with a slightly less diverse cast, and maybe a storyline that's focused on a particular area. Um, mm-hmm. Right? I, I can see all these things, and I can even see adding you know- adult themes. But, I could see that if it were added with like a side story, right? And but my but my big but is you have to carry your audience into that experience. There's no mm. way around it. This is not an original, um, an original work. This is an existing intellectual property with a very large, very vocal, and very dedicated fan base. You've got to you have to as a as a producer, you got to bring them into this new vision that you've got. And it's when you lose the original creators, you're not just losing some noisy, annoying people who are telling you all the things you can't do. You're losing a lot of goodwill from the fans because the only reason people would even give this concept a chance is if it had the rubber stamp from people who were not involved in the movie, who were who you know that they still have some credibility left. You lose them. There's not really a lot of upside for anyone who's into Avatar to to follow along with this. 
and a casual audience is going to look at this and be like, I, this is a show based on a kid's cartoon. Everybody's white. They're all having sex. Like, I don't know what's going on. Yes. 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 That, yes. So yeah, I I definitely have to bring that up because I was just like, I don't, I don't understand why you're doing this. This just, it's like you want the outrage almost. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Like, I'm assuming they, that this was a legitimate, like, creative dispute and they just didn't handle it very well on the PR side. Um, oh no, they failed. Yeah, they compl- but if they're trolling their audience, and they don't deserve a single viewer. No, no, it's just very interesting because I I've seen like a few like um accounts on Twitter talk about like their experiences with Netflix and how like it's not the most accepting um work environment even though they present themselves to be like you know forward thinking strong back leads and all that kind of stuff like that but it's like but when you still see the content that they put out it's kind of just like well you're 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 still not really following through like you're talking to talk but the walk is is like you know you do two steps forward and then you jump back five steps yeah i mean i have a i have theories about this and they're based on some of the reading that i've done around netflix at least as a producer and i think mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't remember even though it's it's obvious when you mention it is that netflix is an incredibly data-driven organization um all of their media acquisitions all of their um original content spending is based on what people are watching what categories and and essentially the metadata associated with every show that ever gets streamed or not streamed on that platform and that's how they decide all sorts of things for example, it's how they decide budgets. Mm. It's how they decide offers to um, either individual creators or for licensed material. It's also uh, how they put walls around the creative expression on a lot of their own uh, native titles. Because what will happen is they'll say, okay, we're paying X amount of dollars for a show that is going to target people who like to watch um, horror and fantasy. They're between the ages of, you know, uh, 16 and 35, and they've got the following interests, and they just list them down because that's their thing. So if you are a creator and they've greenlit you for a show that goes into that slot with that budget, as long as you're inside of those rails, you're going to have an amazing experience where you'll feel like you can do anything. But if you're someone who may want to go off the beaten path or your your production goes off in such a way that you want to do that all of a sudden you hit a lot of very very hard walls where they will tell you no we are not paying for this thing or that thing these are the ideas that we want here because we are targeting this audience very specifically and i've heard the story from you know uh, folks who i know who are involved in um some netflix related uh, either production or development i've read uh-huh. this in articles that this is a, a problem it's something that came up even when uh, netflix was buying up uh, comedy specials. I mean, everyone's familiar with Monique, but there were a lot of oh other God, comedians who yeah. did, in fact, get the bag from Netflix. But part of the reason they they got what they got was because you know Netflix has a very specific way of valuing its its minutes of content. So I can imagine a situation where they looked at Avatar and said, "Ooh, we we can get this IP for X amount of dollars, but the show has to be something that is like I don't know people who watch Kingdom." Or people who watched, uh, uh, you know, some of the other things that are already on there, and that fixed their mm-hmm. budget. That also fixed the creative vision. And so, when the original 
producers and writers got in there and said, okay, well, we want to make a story about the original story. So let's get the kids in. Let's get everything else. And the Netflix bosses said, no, this is what we paid for. A dark reimagining that's aged up and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that d- didn't work for them. But like that, that uh, process is something that is hidden from most people. And it's not necessarily something that um, gets a lot of daylight, even in, in media, because most people are like either marveling over how much money Netflix is spending on stuff, or when they have a hit, like, you know, the creators will all be wheeled out there like, oh, we can do whatever we wanted, it's a great environment, and it probably is, so long as you're doing what Netflix is telling you to do. Fuck them, man. <laughs> That's not, it's not supposed to, it's, this, yeah, this isn't, this isn't what's supposed to happen, but... Okay. What else do you have? Um, the note I have for this week comes from an article that was published in It Media uh, about a week or two ago um, from a uh, anime analyst in Japan named Tadashi Sudo. Um, he was talking about the idea that Japanese animation in Japan may be suffering from something called Galapagos Syndrome. Um, <laughs> Galapagos Syndrome is just like a, a broad term that uh, covers like any kind of product or idea that's created um, and built up uh, in an isolated way, sort of away from either like foreign influences or a global market. Uh, and the result is something that might be very marketable inside of that culture or that country, but it's very difficult to export because uh, it's it's just so foreign and different from um, you know w- w- what what a foreigner might expect. Uh, besides anime, one of the the more interesting stories that sort of is in the same vein is around um, Japanese wireless um, like handsets and phones going from like the uh-huh. late '90s to the mid 2000s. I know that when I was growing up, I'd always hear these stories about how oh Japan is like 20 years in the future because while we yes. were messing around with like flip phones and razors, they already had uh, a video chat and you know. Uh, immersive web applications and everything else the problem is that you couldn't bring over a a japanese phone because they literally didn't even run on the same kind of network technology that existed in the united states so if you saw like a cool dokomoko uh phone it was going to it was only ever going to work in japan and all the features that made it interesting were things that were developed in a silo and while they were ahead of their time you know 10 15 years ago they were very quickly then surpassed once foreign countries did their own thing and made it work in a way that appealed to global audiences. So, you know, we were all wowed by the iPhone and eventually every phone became some version of an iPhone. Um, But for a while, if you compared an iPhone to what they had in Japan, the iPhone was trash. In fact, if you tried to bring an iPhone into Japan, you had a hell of a time getting the thing to work because the cell networks ran all the... It's a longer story. Like the cell companies over there, they all had their own unique um, uh, data infrastructure. So you couldn't even bring phones between companies. Like it was crazy. But oh my god! But this particular author was talking about um, Japanese anime as an industry, and one of the things that he noted is that um, anime broadly has been in a boom worldwide for at least the last yes. ten years, ten or twelve years. Um, Absolutely. We just talked about Crunchyroll being valued at a billion dollars at the same time. Um, Funimation had to shut down um, par- a big part of their web streaming service a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, they still have a platform, but it's uh, nowhere near as robust as it, as it once was. 
Um, you hear constantly every year stories about studios uh, getting even being very successful, um, having pr- projects that are massively popular and generate tons of money, and then they are on the brink of collapse because you know they had no cut of the actual um, uh, uh, proceeds from you know merch and broadcast and everything else. Um, you go down another le- level and you look at some of the helper studios the ones that do like in-between work or just clean up um, and a part, a big part of the ecosystem of actually making anime. I mean, in those studios, life is hell for the people who work there. The wages are really low. Um, I remember a year or two ago, that project uh, that folks were promoting a lot about, uh, I think it was actually through Crunchyroll. It was a, last year that like anime dorm project where they were literally soliciting money what from people that? to like help pay the living expenses of, of animators and production staff because life was just so hard and they weren't making any money. I mean, that's, that's crazy at the same time that globally as an art form, it's exploding. Um, and so part of this was to, what was this article was, was wondering aloud and also looking at some data to figure out what is going on outside of Japan with anime as a industry. So other countries producing original content that either borrows from, um anime uh themes or is or is almost indistinguishable to uh errors and controversies um surrounding exported anime that were uh that hit cultural sensitivities um or other things that limited the ultimate appeal or success of the show so they brought up um the original uh jojo um ova where there was a scene where dio was just reading from a quran and the association of like uh, a, a vampiric villain, you know, studying, uh, you know, those texts while we were in the midst of a war on terror, just generated a lot down. of heat for the publisher. I think it was Shueisha. Um, there's other yeah. times when, like, just depictions of characters or depictions of places, um, that are added as an attempt to diversify, um, the the series that they're involved in or to add a new flavor. Unfortunately, they, they, those depictions may also suffer from just a lack of cultural sensitivity or even understanding, and that's because a lot of the people involved are all Japanese, and they bring with them you know, either their level of education or their level of sensitivity, and a lot of it could have just been avoided by having more foreign staff, more foreign uh, partners as a, as a component of the design and development of anime. And his sort of final point was that doing this and integrating um, more of this global talent that's grown up in the last 10 years not only will protect um, the industry from making mistakes, but it'll also chip away at some of the big financial problems that uh, a lot of these studios have by just sticking with a, a Japanese model. And so I felt like this, this article and, and, and uh, uh, Tadashi-san's thoughts were well needed and something that you don't generally get a good taste of, even though this is a conversation... That's happening in the industry. So, as much as I loathe to support mega corporations that are valued in the billions, um, what Crunchyroll is doing this year with um, their original product projects uh, and their commitment and Netflix's commitment, though we'll see what it turns out, to put a cut of the of these proceeds directly back in the hands of the, the production companies, themselves. is most likely critical for the anime that I love and I know many other people love to survive in the way uh, that it deserves to. So I thought that was a, it was quite a good article. Fate, Grand Order, The Camelot, 
stuff is getting an anime um uh, they showed the first visual i don't think we have a trailer yet but you know anything about fate grand order um it's it's a monster it's a fucking monster now it started off very bad but this is one of the instances where when you listen to your fan base shit turns out well for you those when fate grand order first came out and they started releasing the chapters and shit like that the fan base was like oh bitch no this is fate how dare you this is this is subpar we don't want this we don't like this and they stepped their game up and now like it has the mo- it has the movies they just got done with babylonia demonic warfront like it's fucking amazing and they just rolling in money now because the gacha game is bringing them money so i'd recommend that um also noblesse and jujutsu kaisen we got trailers for those two crunchyroll productions um jujutsu kaisen i know nothing about it noblesse i know nothing about it um i'm gonna remain that way until i watch it because you know it, it i know jujutsu kaisen is really really popular but I'll, i'm gonna wait i mean it's like a month away i can do that and then as i said last week may dragon is definitely getting a second season um very excited about that that's just it was well deserved and it's fucking about time but you know the fire and then the director dying it's just it's, there was a whole bunch of stuff up against that show and it's just really nice to know that it's like it's going to continue and then also zoids wild is going to netflix wow i'm talking so much about netflix today um zoids wild i actually was very interested in it because i fucked with zoids when i was younger when that shit was on t- the original tsunami i fucked heavily with zoids i enjoyed the shit out of that and now i'm kind of just like eh. and most likely it's because it's not marketed to me anymore like when i was younger definitely i was like oh yeah i get the shit but now i'm really not seeing that much buzz about it outside of japan as far as like it being the second coming or like oh this is so much better etc cetera, etc cetera. it's just the zoids they look cool and you know maybe one day i'll be bored and i'll be on netflix and i'll be like you know what i'm gonna give this shit a chance but it it's nice that it's going to netflix so that's definitely gonna put the spotlight on it a little bit more and that's about all that, that's all i have for news word i actually thought we had a dead news week we actually had a lot yeah there was a lot um okay so let's get into the weekly recaps um so what do you what, what do you want to do first um i want to give a fast update on apari ranman since we you know this going to be our uh in our later segment but um mm-hmm. if it's we're about mid-season so uh not we're not going to spoil anything here but i think that this is a show that should be on a lot of a lot of folks lists um mm. uh and that that's all i'll say for now um, we'll cover okay. that a little bit later. And then I know the one thing that I'm watching that, uh, it's not a hate watch, but it's, it's not great, which is, uh, the latest season of food wars. Um, I didn't realize this was the last season. It probably should be the last season. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it it's, and I, and I don't mean this as like, if you're into the show and you think it's awesome, that's great. Uh, they basically ran out of ideas um in the last in like season four and they were already running out of ideas anyway um the current villain is maybe like the worst one they've ever sketched out and is it the guy with the black hair yeah and it's not it's not again it's no fault of like the production or or what it looks like it's just there's just no ideas left like his ability and i don't care if it's a spoiler if you love the show just turn you know turn off right now doesn't matter. He's just a 
supercharged version of Mimasaka, who's a guy who can like copy anybody's techniques. Only he does it oh, by God. taking their 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 cooking tool of choice, and apparently through magic he can feel through the tool exactly how they would do all of their cooking. And then, so if that wasn't enough, he also has a dumbass skill called cross knives, which means he can take any, he can hold any two tools and then combine the cooking skill and ability of any person he's ever copied together. So Okay, so now I know why people are complaining about it. Yeah, it it's, and it's, it's just, just dumb and makes no sense. And they just hotshot everything like, Oh, this ability's so good, it just beat his dad, and it also beats, you know, all the other characters. And oh, it's even better than the God Tongue. And it's like, oh, we never heard of it. So it's just what? kind of just See, written into the series it, so. to just have stakes when there's no stakes. Also, the the plot of, like, them having to face off against underworld chefs is something that would have been interesting if they'd done that in Season 2. Um, mm. Like, as a way to stretch out the climb up towards you know the hierarchy of that school but since this is like the last season they all all the characters they introduce kind of come across as like high power jobbers so they're not like they're not there they're just there to take an L and in fact they were they 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 we got an episode previously where they introduce all of the bad guys finally um as like you know their own gang the elite whatever and then in the next episode yeah. They're all defeated by the same guy who's also their boss to take all their powers what? just so that he can be an ultra big bad. They never even get like a chance to do anything. Like they they just all get beat off screen. And oh, now he has see, all their techniques and now he's like, whatever. Anything. So you should have never said anything because now I definitely. Yeah, don't watch it. The thing I will say in defense of Food Wars up through season four was that there was actually like a commentary to be had that they were trying to have about like what food culture should be. And mm-hmm. the idea of like, you know, challenging the classical hierarchy and putting value in home cooking and other things that people are that's accessible to people with, you know, and, I, and I'm giving it maybe too much credit because it's still just a, a vehicle for um, for for fan service. Uh, yeah. But there was at least oh, an absolutely. idea that was laudable underneath all that shit, which was you wanted to see the good guys win because they were representing something that anybody any regular person could identify with in this final season it's just kind of like ah we just gotta figure out a way to end the series uh give them every power Ah. so it's not that great yeah Uh, i mean i appreciate that we like saw them lose yes on a regular basis which is great but oh man this sucks that this actually is fucking happening oh my god yeah i mean there i mean there there was nowhere to go then it should have just ended. Yeah, they were right. It should have just ended with that fourth season. Right. That was a part. That was that was a perfect ending for me to be honest. Like, what period and story? Yeah, yeah. That, in fact, that that last scene at the end of uh, season four where they try to introduce a new bad guy. It's like, why are you doing this? Like, this makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> the show should be over by now. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll fit. I'll finish it, but I'm probably just gonna watch it randomly while I'm eating. Yes, that's what like, you should wa- do. Food is still food cool. Wars. Like, and then just go about my business. Ugh, this is so disappointing. Yeah. No. And then for all I, I just talked about Food Wars. I'm gonna try to get through the rest of this stuff a little bit faster, even though it's much better. Um. Mm-hmm. So, Fire Force. Uh, I think it was this episode six for season two. Okay, I I really like this episode. Yes, great episode. I, yeah, I really like, like, it basically, it's slowly starting to, like, 
pull back the veil on the bigger shit that's going on. And I'm I'm here for it. Like I I I love this shit. I like seeing Oh fuck. Did I forget his name? Ogun. Ogun. Oh my god, I forgot. I got you, don't worry. Oh my god, how could I? Um I loved seeing Ogun get on that fucking um surfboard surfboard fireboard whatever the way that he used his spears as a propellant i was like oh this i like this nigga this is this is some cool shit yeah ogan needs more more screen time he's just a cool character um yeah and he's not like what kind of i don't know it's funny because he fits right in but you you realize when you think about it you've only really seen him in like three or four episodes total yeah and he hasn't really done much but the way that they like um they like shined a light on like he shinra and authors like friendship during the academy it made me think that like oh he's probably eventually gonna get lent to the eighth permanently like tamaki and become like you know a not a titular character but like a prominent supporting character and i don't see anything of that and you know it could still come because you know i don't read the manga so he's like man it's whatever but I definitely would like to see more. Also, the introduction of like talking animals. I was like, "Where are we going here? Yeah. Hold on, hold on. What's what's going on?" But the fact that it's not all of them; it's specific ones. And then I also noticed that the crow and the mole they have like the um that like dark cloth around them. It looks very similar to that person in the opening that has like that that everything is covered in like that black drape except for their face and then they also showed up in the preview so i'm like is does this person have something to do with it but then the preview itself is what got me so excited because it started talking about people from another world and i was like here we go here we go yeah so it's funny because when you think back about this episode you it you start to go through each thing you realize just how much world building they were able to get into 20 minutes you're on a Mm. new continent so we know that now the world exists beyond the borders the of just world map. Tokyo. You yes. see, a, you see the world map. They start, you know, the 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 gas, the that's making everyone the shift go, go the crazy. Continent. You got new characters. You got talking animals. You've got like um, giant monsters now. The 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 snakes that look like um, onyxes from Pokemon. Um, oh my god! You yeah. have the revelation <laughs> that like out in the rest of the world, it may be that everyone is just an infernal. And that shot at night of like all the bodies oh burning. Oh my god! Um, they're yes. them realizing that like it's whatever they've been doing is just not gonna cut it. Like, like this is this is really bad. The reveal mm-hmm. of this of the second or maybe the first Amaterasu like, it's plant. It's not just gonna be solved in Tokyo. Right? Exactly. Like, it, so it they they be. there was a lot that happened in this episode. Um, they and it covers a lot of ground and it opens up a lot of possibilities. Um, that Amaterasu reveal got my ass. Like I didn't see it coming. I did not see that coming. I was just like, "Hold up, wait a second. What what's going on?" So I, I felt like, like that was really cool. So it gets a gets a nice thumbs up in my book. Good progression. We're gonna absolutely. get a lot of cool stuff this season. Um, yes, very cool progression. I love it. It was a really good episode. Next one on my list is Got a High School. Um, meh. Yeah. It was a meh for me. I know it had to. Ha- I know the episode had to happen. Um, as far as just like you know, transitioning between the tournaments and like giving them some downtime. Um, the ending definitely. A lot of shit started happening. I think within the last like seven minutes to five minutes of the episode, to the point where I was like, "Wait, what? Hold on. <laughs> what? What? 
okay. Oh, okay. Next week. Right. Okay, got it. We got um, we got the Yumira fight in the beginning. I think that was the other. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I mean was over yet, and then I was kind of wondering because I know that you spoke on this last week about the jujitsu fighter, and I was like, oh well, maybe this will be the moment where they like you know showcase or explain like you know jujitsu or the fighting style and like you know how Yumira overcomes it. And no, she just smacks him in the fuck. She gets a hit on the head, and that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really gonna double down on the comments I made last week, which is, I get that it seems Crunchyroll's approach for these manwas is to, uh, chunk like fifty to a hundred chapters into thirteen episodes, and mm-hmm. sometimes this works. I think this is a mistake for God of High School. I think this is a, a actually a tremendous error, and it's hurting the series. It is not bad by any means. It's still very ambitious, and it is a series where the story is not necessarily the strong point, um, as we see in this this episode, because there's a whole lot of exposition, a whole lot of new characters get yes. thrown at you, a whole lot of uh, uh, character deaths. Um, we got the naming of the enemy faction. We got a uh, flashback for Jin Tai Jin and what's going on there. Not a lot of explanation. The problems that God of High School kind of has as a series in general is that the storytelling is not particularly strong, but the combat and the storytelling through the fighting is very good. And what they seem Mm. to have decided is that they're going to squash large amounts of of exposition uh, into single episodes and that doesn't it, it doesn't really combat. work as well here because I think for a lot of the audience they're having a hard time even following Korean names. So they don't really know who a lot of these people are other than yes. visually. And then trying to piece together the very not well explained parts of the plot or the what's actually going on, even if it's not said, is difficult. Like we got an explanation of Shah Rukh, which is the the power system. Which is actually a great power system, is you'll see. I think, but even see did later we on. get an explanation of it? Because it seemed like it got glossed over. Yeah, so I think it's. I, I'm pretty sure it's Sharuk. Is how you pronounce it. I could be wrong. I remember him saying Charyuk or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but it basically is is power borrowing, and so it as a concept, mm. it takes a lot of cool stuff from. Oh, they borrow it from the gods. Yeah, so some of it is like very familiar in the way that like it kind of resembles um stands it also kind of resembles nen it also kind of resembles like a lot of other stuff and because it's martial arts driven it's got that original dragon ball kind of key you know stuff going on but there's a lot of variety and in fact that's the coolest thing about god of high school is that now that we've picked up into the air quotes the real story that there's such a wide variety of combinations of powers and fighting styles and visual sort of looks for all the characters that it's gorgeous to look at. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Just that the show has a tendency and the manhwa has you to dump like tons of new characters on you. And we got like 12 in this episode. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That it was just so much at the end though. It, yeah, it could have been spaced out a little bit more. I just kind of just, you know, took the episode for what it was. I was like, we're going to re- clearly getting right back to Balls to the Walls action next week. So it's whatever. It's just how uh, they're going to deal with the Charyuk when uh, Yumira and 
um hey um Dewey doesn't even have they 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 can't access theirs. I'm assuming they're gonna get it eventually. And then also like the threes tournament, the announcing that the tournament is gonna be in groups of three now. I was like, oh, so that's how those two are gonna continue forward. Right, which should have been announced first, because then it would you'd understand what the stakes were. Because people would mm. like, I think you'd mentioned this a week ago that you're watching this thing. And you're like, well, how are there's clearly gonna be more of a tournament are they gonna just write out the two other characters no yeah they had to contrive a way to like get them in story-wise but if that had just been placed first that information then we would all the audience would know that like there's a possibility for them to stay together but the characters don't need to know so that would be an example of a place where they could have just made a slight change in the exposition earlier in the series that you know was a mistake, I think, in the manhwa as well, and they would have fixed what would have felt like a continuity error, but instead they left it in. So there's a lot of, like, odd or awkward um, choices that they've made so far that I think are holding the series back, but I don't... I probably know too much as a reader to really be worried about it because I know how crazy some of this stuff is, but I'm just going to bang the drum again. If you or anyone else out there listening... Uh, is interested and likes what they see in God of High School, the the adaptation, go read the manhwa. It is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Everything you think is cool and awesome about the fights and the presentation of these characters and everything else, like, I can honestly say it might be better in the manhwa. And that's saying a lot, given how much energy and effort has gone into the production of this series. Um it's really good, which is the opposite of like Tower of God, where the first like two seasons of the manhwa are awkwardly drawn. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then what else would you? Oh God, decadence. I want to know your feelings. Uh, I want to know. I'm actually back on board. I actually really like. Okay. It. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually really really enjoyed it. Um. It it took me out though the whole the whole shit plantation <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was like, bro, what is going on? <laughs> why why do we have this right now? They are the, mining the shit. shit. They're they're making alcohol from shit. Like I'm just like, oh my god, no, I can't, I can't. I honestly can't do this right now. But then I'm also interested. We're starting. So now I know that the cyborgs are actually they exist in the same world as decadence mm-hmm. like they're physical beings um they're growing the fucking gallo the galloids um it's the cyborgs that are doing it so that's another weird thing where i'm just like what what's going on so i'm i'm basically thinking like it's like an ai apocalypse where like the cyborgs gain too much um autonomy and they were like all right get these humans the fuck out of here we're gonna run this shit we're gonna entertain ourselves or something to that sort um i i liked the rivalry to bro ship that happened between him and homie mm-hmm. um how they respected each other during the fight and they didn't use like their aces or like you know he didn't use the gun he didn't use the jetpack because i knew he had the jetpack because i was like bitch i've been seeing you fly around in this jetpack in the opening for damn near six weeks now. I know you got a jetpack. And of course he uses it. And I'm like, okay, great. I'll take this. Um, 
I like the new cast of characters, or I like getting more of the androids because they seem to be like more of like a wackier persona, or like they have like a wackier culture. Yeah, or it could also just be that the aesthetic of that uh, society is so much more um, carefree. Yeah, carefree, or I I would say it's just a looser, uh, more childlike aesthetic, which is. Mm. Ju- it, it's held in juxtaposition with the absolute horror of <laughs> what that what that that life is in reality since we know that this is taking place in the real world you know yeah. like watching these these i mean we can call them people because they are people but um these uh cyborgs get disassembled randomly killed uh, or destroyed in horrible ways, mistreated, and that, like sent to their death. Oh basically. God! Like the scene, every I get, I get viscerally uncomfortable every single time they do a shot of them doing oxyon because yeah, oh man, like even That's even the pure mean. stuff earlier, I was very uncomfortable watching that. Um, just mm-hmm. visually, something about it seemed sickening. You know, like they yes. put all these bright lights, and they're like, you know. The frothing at the mouth and it's in, they're in ecstasy but it also feels like you know so that's the thing that gets me though so the oxion is coming from the galloids right the gattle yeah yeah the gattles yeah the gattles oh yeah it's coming from them so but they're also creating them yeah they're, so there's so like it's a kind of just like so is this like a drug yeah it's like a very sick kind of life cycle that they've yeah. created to sort of pacify the cyborg society right because think about it you've got you've got the cyborgs the cyborgs need oxyone both to live and also to like get high the oxyone is mined from the bodies of the gattles the gattles are hunted in the game which itself is also a way to like keep control over the rest of society because it's the thing that they all look forward to there's that scene of that cyborg like who's clearly like lost faculties and they're just yeah, like he just, dreaming yeah. about like I want to get back and play decadence. I want to get back and play decadence and he's like losing his mind and mm-hmm. and they go into that game where they hunt the gattles that then generate the oxion that they then are is used to control them. And it's fucking gross. Like everything about <laughs> it is unappealing and I think it's deliberate like the you know, I said this back when we started reviewing about like those that fountain of of green blood coming out just looked awful, yeah. and not in the way of like I watched people and the humans are living around right, like it, like when the flood of it comes in and you realize it's just like juices from these dead creatures, and you're just like, oh, what is going on? So the fact that this is the first time we see like the the full life cycle, including that they mine stuff out of the shit. Yeah, so, yeah, and then what is that? Well, that's clearly, like, just lower quality stuff, and they may use that to actually create the gattles themselves. Like, the oh, the high-quality stuff this they is... shoot up, uh, <laughs> and then the low-quality stuff goes into the, the and reprocessing And then the shooting-up process, it's like, if they sent them down there to die, it's like, wouldn't it be better for them to not give them any of the oxion at all? Or it's like they're purposefully giving them that diluted oxion because they want them to suffer exactly until their death. Yeah. It's just like, this is... Well, they want to get labor out of them Oof. until they fall apart because they clearly don't care about protecting them from yeah. anything since they can easily just get crushed, go insane. Like, yeah. So there's a lot going on 
in that sort of depiction. And this is the thing that I was commenting on when we first started the series, uh, that you can go for some very high concept commentary about the real world, our real world, through Mm -hmm. a show, and you can make, you know, uh, very complex arguments, or you can make very simple arguments, but then the presentation and the reveals and the characterization has to be able to stand up underneath that argument and support it. It has to be strong. Because yes. if any of those things don't work, for example, if the character of Kaburagi is not sympathetic, or the the uh, explanation of the structure of the society has big old holes in it that can't be explained by what we see in the show, like why do things happen, and why are people making the decisions that they're making, then you mm-hmm. the whole thing can fail, and it will you still will have tried to do something interesting, but it'll just be a failed project. What I appreciate is that, at least as far as we've gotten so far in the series, they have layered more and more intrigue into the story and more and more depth into all of the characters as well as the world building. But they're still essentially making the same very direct argument that they were in at the second episode about the, 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 corru- the, the sort of corrupt nature of uh, authoritarian culture and a society that needs to be uh, reawakened or re- refreshed. And the way to do that is through people, or, or they call them bugs. But what aberrant behavior is actually something that's very important. Because the yes. cyborg culture is a dead culture. They're just stuck in a loop where... Yeah, it's never going to change. It's never going to change, it's never going to evolve, yeah. and it's corroding from the inside as we see because they keep getting more and more more and more of these bugs and bugs you know whatever whatever's happening that's breaking the system and they're missing bugs right whatever is breaking the system the implication of this show is that that is a natural uh uh out outcome of living breathing free thinking people existing so i i like where they're going with it i think that they they're trying for something a more high concept. They're not yeah. they're not taking it too seriously because there's half of the show full of these like you know Disney cart or 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 Warner Brothers 1950 style you know cartoon characters that are you know in some ways the emotional center of the show. Um, so it's silly on its face in presentation, but the more you think about it, the more horrified you have to be. At this, this world is not a not a good world. It, well, yeah, and I I remember saying that when I first started. I was, when we first started watching this, I was just like, I have a feeling this is gonna get really really fucked up, and it's 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 heading down that path. It's I mean it's already super fucked. Um, yeah. <laughs> the last thing I'll say I still, about I still this, think there's gonna be something fucked for the humans. Yeah. There oh, we'll, we'll get there. I'm sure we'll get yeah, there. Yeah. I feel like there's something so wrong for the tankers that I'm just gonna be like, big. Yeah. No. What? I'm. I'm. I'm prepared for something. But I did want to say to wrap up at least my side of this episode is that I saw a very interesting, and I don't know if this was deliberate or just by unpleasant accident. There's a big parallel to a lot of the stuff that's going down in the ideas in this episode and what's currently happening with the Uyghur population in China. Um, This idea of people, in this case, in the real world, people with bad thoughts uh, being pulled out of their homes 
and thrown into re-education camps where they're asked to do, you know, back-breaking manual labor and get re-educated, essentially renounce all of their prior beliefs. In the Uyghurs' case, it's, it's uh, you know, their, their Muslim identity, even though they are Chinese. They, um, you know, that, that's their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, it's the status of just being a, a bug. We don't know why everybody got sent there, but there, I, I was watching this episode, and I'm like, well, the, the, the people making this cannot have been uh, unaware that that parallel might get drawn, though it's possible yeah. that this is more of a reference maybe to things that go on in North Korea than in China. But nonetheless, yeah, I saw true. it, and I was... I was intrigued, and I wonder if there will be any, or if there is any commentary about why they chose to go this direction on screen. I feel like there will be, because I've seen a lot of places getting interviews. Well, and eh, with Crunchy, well, it's primary. I've seen a lot of, like, Crunchyroll interviews with, like, behind the scenes of, like, directors. They're doing a lot of interviews with the creator of God of High School. Like, they're all over the homeboy. But if we can get that to be, like, way more of a trend, we, I feel like we're going to get those answers eventually especially with the production staff because i mean so far that director that we talked about is doing a good job it's, this this seems to be falling on the the great side of yeah uh i mean again he was also responsible for mob psycho 100 so the script for that so yeah i mean yeah i enjoyed it i'm definitely looking forward to the future i i can't i can't wait Oh, oh, quick minor note. The mm-hmm. weird sort of like junky robot that was making all that uh, alcohol out of all the shit. It's very interesting uh-huh. that they chose the Do you notice his name was Sarko Z, which is a very unusual name to choose, given that that's the name of the former French uh, prime minister, I believe, oh. Nicolas Sarkozy, who... Got in big trouble for a variety of scandals. <laughs> um, oh, so no, I did not catch that. Shit I at thought all. that was interesting. They chose that name. I also thought it was interesting that the big um, purple gang leader dude, who was like the former elite, uh, Donatello. It was Donatello. I'd forgotten that's what his name was, and then I see like his portrayal here. I'm like, was this purposeful? He's purple. Hmm. Uh- that's all I have on my list. Is there anything else that you were watching this week that Um No, not really. Um Yeah, I I don't think I really watched that much of of the other stuff. I'm kinda just letting a lot of stuff build up and then just gonna binge what? hard and see where it goes from there. And then yeah, like the other stuff is Getting their trailers, we're starting to see how the next season is gonna turn chug, turn out to be. So, I'll wait for that, and then who knows? Maybe some of the shows it might next season might end up being a flop, and I'll be like, all right, well, I'm gonna watch this shit on a weekly basis because I didn't watch it last season because I don't know what the fuck is this shit this season. I would like to not have anything like the the hentai exros roars or whatever that shit or like the monster girl doctor. Not that it's not that people don't enjoy that shit, but it's kind of just like, that shit's not for me. So if those kinds of shows tend to dominate... <gasps> oh, I do have something to tell everyone. Oh. I forgot. The Titan's Bride. Don't <laughs> watch it. 
Don't watch it. <laughs> I'm just telling you <laughs> right now. Don't watch it. So I did my research. I did my research, and I sh- this should have been part of the first episode. I just keep forgetting to tell you what I found out about it. The studio that is animating Titans Bride is a hentai studio. Ah. That was all. That's all I needed to know. Ah. That's it. Well, that's it. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. If you want to watch it, I already know why you're going to watch it. <laughs> the uncensored version will come out at a later date after it finishes airing. Gotcha. For the rest of you motherfuckers, don't watch it. It's not for you. It's, it's literally not for you. And now I understand kind of why it got the adaptation. Because I was like, oh. Because after reading it, I'm kind of just like, okay, don't see why this got an adaptation. And then, oh, Hentai Studio is doing it. Got it. Got He's it. trying That's, to get oh, that uh, say, Ichizoku say reviewer's less. money. Say less. Ooh. Did they make money? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know, man. I they got they got canceled or whatever banned pretty quick. But they, yeah, they got banned. Did it? Did it? Did they continue to make episodes or did they just stop? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't like pay attention to I it never after followed the ban. Me neither. I was like, if they banned it from y'all's from the television, yeah, bruh, there was a clean version though, right? Theoretically, I, air quotes. I clean. think they were pressing the. I think they were pressing the boundaries on clean. Oh shoot. Okay. Well. And because technically they're like monsters, but I'm like, okay, but they're monsters with tits. Right. I mean, if so it we, has so a vagina, know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, we know what's, it's, there's still, uh, uh, I don't know what happened to that show. At least we can but, say yeah. that it was queer friendly. I don't. Uh, that's a step that. forward <laughs> in somebody's book. Okay. Um, I didn't know that. I, Monster Girls was queer friendly. Um, yeah, the Ichizoku reviewers was. Oh, it's, see, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't need to know anything else about that. I'm not, I'm not gonna put that in my search history at all. <laughs> I don't want any of that in there. But yeah, don't, don't watch Titans Bride unless you know what you're going there for. And now that I've told you this, you know what you're going there for, and it's up to you. I'm just, I'm just, I just warned you. I just warned you. I don't want to see people being like, oh, I watched that Titans Bride show and, you know, no. You were no. warned. Do you, do you know what this nope. is? Nope. It's done by a hentai studio and there are no prominent female characters. Yep. You know what you're getting. That, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's all you need to know. That's it. It's over. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm not watching it myself because I'm just like, bitch, I already read that. I already know what's <laughs> Next. Don't need it. Okay, all right, and let's go ahead and do three with me. Um, this is the Apari Ronman three with me, so you should have watched it already for this segment, and if you haven't, then go watch it and then come back and listen to us. So what did you think of it? Uh, I really, really, really liked Apari Ronman. It, it shouldn't be a surprise, at least uh, for me anyway, because when I saw the preview for it, and I actually wound up watching a little bit of the first, uh, the, the first episode uh, before we made our recommend, but I was super excited um, for just the style. Uh, even the mm-hmm. opening uh, it, that's introducing you to all the characters, sort of like that first five minutes, which is which now, as I know, the first five minutes of the first episode is actually a jump ahead um, to what the events that start out in episode five. But yeah, uh, so. it's it I it has a very like classical structure. 
and there are you know this particular type of story the sort of like uh nationwide or world road race is is a classic uh trope as it is and as Mm -hmm. you get through the first three episodes and you're starting to meet the various characters um in the series there's a couple of themes that really jumped out at me that made the show more endearing Uh, i think the biggest one is this idea of uh breaking past whatever the limits in society uh, happen to be all of the characters that we are introduced to uh thus far from apare uh to uh, hototo uh and and all the supporting characters they all share the same real challenge of being limited in some way either by society or the past or by their family or by expectations of other people uh and the it seems as if the story is setting up to use the race as well as the character of Apare, who's someone who clearly does not believe in any of these things, um, to break out of those barriers and sort of show people that whatever they think their limitations are in life, they could overcome them if they dream hard enough and work hard enough. And I think that's, again, like a very simple theme and one that uh, resonates across time. And that's not even getting to the fact that the show itself looks really good. Um, yes, the world definitely. is very well developed, even though it seems like a, like a temporal mishmash um because i still am not totally sure like in their version of reality like when is this supposed to be taking taking place but it kind of doesn't matter because it's just cool it's cool to look at so what did you think yeah. of it? um i really love the art style and the art direction of the show like all around i love the bright colors i love the character designs and uh, as far as like the story goes i'm dialed in i'm interested and i also like how different all of the characters are and how the interactions between all of the characters is played up, especially between Apare and the other racers, and how we're basically getting backstory on everyone. It's not just like, Apare's trying to fix the car before the race starts. Like, it's slowly building up everyone else in, before we get into the race, and then it fuels their motivations or their future motivations. So when something happens in the future, I'm gonna be like, oh, that makes absolute sense. As opposed to basically being like, why the fuck did that bitch do that? Like, what's going on? Right, I, I totally agree. I also think that there's, like, little in-jokes and gags and verbal gags that are there, but they're not they're not overpowering, or or they don't really detract. The comedy itself doesn't really detract from um, the setting. And it's already mm. kind of like a silly series with over-the-top characters and everything else. But one of the things, like, I noticed was, like, uh, when we were introduced to uh, Kosame... And then you're you're very quickly introduced to his sister, and there's this sort of like running joke that I that I see multiple characters participated where something happens, and then they sort of like something something happens that, that is just very onerous and bothersome, and there's a like verbally they're just sort of like oh it is, it just it is what it is, and they kind of just go yeah. along with it, but like different characters do the same joke because. Um, Kosame did it, or the the little sister did it in the first episode when he like leaves with the swords, and then uh, Apare does it. I think in like episode episode three. There's also like just a lot of um, fun little callbacks. I like I love seeing series where American culture and American history is reflected back through like the funhouse mirror of another culture and another um, uh, artist's like take on what's going on. So, like, in the first episode, I noticed that there was a sign in the background that said something like, you know, um, uh, all the fun from Fort Lauderdale or something like that. I'm like, why would there be mm-hmm. a reference to Fort Lauderdale, Florida in this this series? Like, so it's just, just weird stuff. Shit. Yeah. 
I missed that. As far as the comedy goes, I'm already enjoying the dynamic between Kosame and Hototo, um, especially with like the fish. And, oh yeah, and that was the, funny. The running, yeah, like the running gag that like he keeps treating Hototo like a child, and so Hototo keeps taking it out on him in little ways and being petty. And I'm like, not that. Like, you whack. You weak. Get out of here. Yeah, it's like I, that. That's entertaining, and you, I see what you're talking about. Where you're like, it's not the main focus. Like. It's thrown in there, and I'm like, okay, I can definitely see how this is going to develop. Or not develop, but, like, I enjoy this, but and it also does not take away from the overall thing that's going on right now. Yeah, like, there's a level of absurdity that, like, Kosame's character is probably going to want to be low-key my, my favorite, because he's closest to the um, audience insert, because he knows the least about sort of like what's going on and is constantly the one that's being uh, having things explained to him whether it's like mm-hmm. about character motivation or like just just generally like how the world works um i so i and i think like his his struggle they they touched on i think in episode two of not being able to draw his sword um despite clearly he's actually pretty good like he he's not he isn't a joke character and that's kind of the the point that i'm trying to make about the comedy is that like Everything in this series, all the characters, for the most part, are ridiculous in some way, or over the top in some way, but none of them are treated as just figures of fun. Within the context of the world, they're all seriously rendered, um, no matter what's going on. And everyone kind of treats everyone else like they are, in fact, a human being <laughs> that that yeah. is trying to accomplish something. So that that's a hard juggling act to do in a series where, like, you know, in the third episode where he uh, literally launches the engine of his car um, to the finish line, which is insane. It makes absolutely no sense. But, oh, I loved it. Yeah, but I it was good. It. Yeah, he's like hugging the tree. Kosami's like hugging the tree afterwards. Like, just little gags. So I, I appreciate that it's understated, but it's not boring. Oh, yeah. I definitely do not. I have not been bored with this show at all, which I feel like there have been a lot of shows in the similar veins where like it's the same production quality but it just doesn't come together and i was kind of worried about that but i'm not worried about that at all like i watched the first three episodes and i didn't watch past the first three because i didn't want to like spoil anything when we talked about it but now i'm about to go like what there's like episode seven eight out right now i'm about to go catch up because i can't wait to see what's gonna happen yeah and i'm actually wouldn't be i would not be opposed uh to maybe even adding this to the weekly watch if if uh you know the quality kind of holds up through the next few episodes because obviously I think it's a it's a one core so yeah it's, thir- it's, yeah. A, it's thirteen episodes so this it's an easy easy watch and I absolutely want to know who that dreadhead dude is um, yes because he was banging into some hip hop I'm like how we get hip hop in like the either the late eighteen hundreds or like the nineteen hundreds like yeah. it's it's so hard to I'm tell getting an early nineteen hundreds right story. like I, I it's it's like what is the there's some whatever the term is for like an anach- a historical anachronism, but it's like from the future, <laughs> cast into the past. Like, how did this happen? But it looks cool. I agree. Okay, and so then now that we've already done the Apari Ramen part, um, their assignment for the week after next, because next week we're gonna be doing recommendations. So the week after next, we will be doing um, what is his name? Fugo KG Balance Unlimited, which is basically the Millionaire Detective, and uh, the synopsis of this one is. Daisuke Kanbei, a man of extraordinary wealth, is assigned to the modern crime prevention headquarters at a detective agency. 
it is there that he gets pardoned with Haru Koto, Koto uh, human, a humane detective who values justice above all. The two are polar opposites and their morals clash time and time again. Haru despises Daisuke for using monetary wealth to solve cases as he believes that money isn't everything. The two will have to combine their efforts, however, to solve the mysteries that are coming their way. So, the premise in and of itself is interesting to me. It kind of gives me like Sherlock Holmes vibes. And so I'm very interested in that. But also, it seems to have, it seems to have like a decent sized cast list. And I kind of want to see how this like millionaire is going to grow. Because clearly, I'm assuming like one of the like main plot lines or three lines of the show is that he's going to learn how to not be an asshole and fix everything with just money. Yeah, I mean, I, when cool. I took a look at things, um, the I was wondering whether what direction it would go, whether it was sort of like uh, like like skilled skilled down Batman, because like Bruce Wayne's yeah. situation is just that he's very rich. So if he was actually just yes. working for the police, is like that the direction, kind of like in a big O kind of way, or is this more like a character study, character drama? Um, I don't know. I I I try not to read up too much on these so that i can just be open-minded and so far mm -hmm. you know i think truck goal with the pari ronmon and that's not on my watch list weekly so i'm i'm excited for this yes so yeah that'll be the three of me for the next time around so go ahead and watch that i think it has like seven or eight episodes out so if you want to keep watching go ahead but we'll keep the review to the first three episodes so as to not spoil anything beyond that but we are going to spoil those first three episodes just how we did a pari ronmon so you know be ready and that's the end for this week. I ain't got nothing else. So, bye. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs>